The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode number 383, and uh, we will have Abigail Dodds on uh, talking about A Student's Guide to Womanhood. Chris Holland will be joining me for that. And Rebecca McLaughlin is also on talking about insecurities of life and ministry. But right now I'm here with Joe Deegan. Joe, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, John? Doing well. It's good to good to see you. Um, our listeners know that we have opened registration for RYM's Youth Leader Training in Nashville. People can, can go to rym.org YLT to check out more information on that. Um, we're excited that Nancy Guthrie, Sam Alberry, and others will be joining us. Um, Joe, you're also going to be joining us as well uh, to, to lead worship. Um, I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about YLT, and uh, I, I know... You and I, I, I'm sure we met at summer conferences first, but um, YLT might have been one of the first times we met when we were doing youth ministry. That's mm-hmm. true. I, I've i probably been to a dozen YLTs, maybe a little more. I don't know. I, I started coming back in my early years as a youth leader, and man, I, I can't think of anything that, that was more impactful to my ministry than YLT just the connection with other youth leaders, the, um, the worship and the preaching and then the teaching throughout the day. It, it was, I mean, I still have back on my bookshelf behind me, I've got packets of notes that I took every single year there. And I still go back and look at those notes sometimes because they, I, I just, I would come back so refreshed and so rejuvenated in ministry from, from every one of those retreats. And just feeling like I learned a lot. Um, I mean, th- this sounds like a funny word to use to describe YLT. It's it's interesting. Like I I would be so interested in what everyone had to teach and what everyone had to say, and it was, uh, and it would help me see how um, it would help me find uh, m- renewed interest in my own job and in my own ministry. And uh, and so then I got to do that as a youth leader, but now being on staff. It's really fun because I get to do some of this behind the scenes with all you guys. And I get to do the worship and the music and I get to meet with youth leaders and talk through youth ministry. And uh, it's it, it's just one of my favorite things that RYM does. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I know it, it might sound funny to everybody like how, how much we just kind of gush over it, but it's so sincere. I mean, just, you know, people can judge us, whatever, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's great. And it's, it's interesting to hear you use the word interesting um, because, yeah, I would never have used that word to describe it, but you're spot on. As you say it, I'm sitting there thinking, you know what, you're, you're right. Not only the speakers that typically come every year, they've got something that they're, they're talking about where I'm like, oh, man, I cannot wait to hear that. But then you also have other youth leaders leading seminars as well where it's like, wow, that sounds so good. Um, and so, yeah, interesting is, I mean, it's, yeah, um, 
they had such an impact on my, my ministry. And, you know, as you were speaking to, I was thinking, you know what, not only is the fellowship so sweet there and you get to be around youth workers, um, but it also fosters deep relationships for our summer conferences as well. Um, Cause I can just remember so many times where it's like, Oh yeah, I remember you from YLT and just the community becomes so much sweeter because of that. And it's kind of cyclical. Like I love that it's in January because I can remember coming to summer conferences after my first YLT and finding people that I've really connected with. And you kind of come in together as youth leaders and you, you feel like, Oh, this is the mission that we were all prepping for back in January. And we're all doing this together. And then you do RYM and then you come back in January and it's kind of a little bit of a retreat where you get to kind of reflect on how the summer went. And it, you kind of get into that cycle every year mm -hmm. and it's really sweet community. Every single year, I think it just grows each time. Yeah, I agree. Because it is, I mean, summer conferences, it's kind of like a, a, somewhat of a teaser. You get to see your your youth leader friends, but it's like you also have students, so you can't spend a ton of time with each other. And so then it's like you get to YLT, it's like, oh, man, we love the students, but there's no students. Let's just have fun getting to hang out and, and worship. And so um, those who are listening, if you've never come, I cannot encourage you enough to, to put this on your calendar, make it a priority. Uh, we, we hope to see you there. Just reminding everyone, rym.org slash YLT and get more details about how to register. And as, as we've said a few times, never let money be the reason you don't come. Um, please reach out. Let us know if you need assistance in any way. Um, we think it's that important for you and your church. So we want you to be a part of it. Um, right now, I have Rebecca McLaughlin, and she will be talking about insecurities of life and ministry. do have another segment of this podcast where we're discussing insecurities of, of life and ministry and, and don't feel like you have to be uh, too vulnerable. Uh, but, but what have been some of those common insecurities uh, that you've wrestled with in, in life? I don't have any insecurities. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought before you came on. <laughs> I'm well, to go back and I, I promise you, I'm not like an Enneagram fanatic, but just because I've been talking about it quite a lot. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Enneagram 2s, um, such as myself, um, our, our deep motivation is to love and be loved. And there are lots of good things that can spring out of that. But it also means that we will often, or can mean, we often strongly, strongly doubt that we are loved. And, and we'll look at a kind of ambiguous evidence and we'll start with the hypothesis, we're probably not loved and we'll make the evidence fit that hypothesis. Mm. Um, and that's something that I have you always struggle with and I feel like I'm making better progress with it than I, I was you know five years ago let alone 10 years ago um, I'm trying to sort of rewire myself to start with a hypothesis that I probably am loved you know especially by my friends I feel like that's the space where this plays out it's not that I don't think my husband loves me I don't think my children love me it's, it's more um, my friends where I'll, I'll kind of look for every piece of evidence um, I, I think of this is sort of a, a almost comic example, but I have a, a dear friend um, called Julie who, Julie and I have been close friends for probably like four or five years, about five years at this point. And in, in that whole time, I can barely think of a time when Julie's hurt my feelings. Like she's just the sweetest, kindest person you could wish to meet. And one day a few years ago, I'd had a play date with Julie and I'd like been sort of somewhat more vulnerable about some things than I had um, previously. And it was at the time when 
I had a newborn baby, my son Luke, um, who so I was up in the night feeding him. And I, I picked up my phone and I saw a long text from Julie. And my first thought, because Julie and I, I have some friends I text with a lot. Julie is not one of those friends. We tend to sort of only text to schedule a play date and then like, there it is. A long text from Julie. And my immediate thought was, this is a long text where she's explaining to me like quite how uncomfortable I made her feel this afternoon by sharing the things I was sharing and how she like really needs to step back from friendship with me. It was like my instinct. Oh, Instead, when I read it, it was actually a praise report because she'd mentioned something she wanted prayer for. And it was like, you know, she had a great conversation with somebody that day. So it was long texting that. And I thought, goodness me, if even with Julie, who, as I say, is like not somebody with whom I've I've even had kind of ups and downs of friendship much to speak of. If, if my first response to seeing a long text from Julie is she's probably sort of friend breaking up with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that says that I'm, I'm, I'm quick to jump to that hypothesis. So I would say that is, um, you know, my biggest kind of personal area of, of, of insecurity. Um, it, the pros and cons of, of being a, um, a sort of Enneagram 2 type person is I, I, I care an awful lot about what a very few people think of me. Mm. So I don't really care what like random people out there think of me or, like, you know, if I got cancelled by the masses, I, I don't think it would hurt my feelings that much. Um, but I, I, I rise and fall on, on the people I'm closest to. Today I have Abigail Dodds joining us. Abigail, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, excited to, to talk to you today. I also have Chris Highland joining us. Chris, how's it going? Hey, hey, glad to be back. And we, we kind of give a special thanks to Chris because it's uh, 8 a.m. his time. So he's getting up early, coming on. So thanks for that. You make that sound like such an early time. <laughs> it's like that's when every kid, everybody starts working. <laughs> I know, I know, but still just getting to the... Right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, yeah, with the three of us on this podcast, but with children, we know 8 a.m. is is late for us. Uh, we're up a lot earlier. <laughs> Um, but Abigail, it's, it's your first time joining us on, on the podcast. Why don't you just uh, tell our listeners uh, where you live and a little bit about your family? Yeah, well, I'm in the Twin Cities. I'm actually in a suburb of the Twin Cities called Lake Elmo on the east side. We're really close to Wisconsin. Um, beautiful area. But we go to Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview. Uh, my husband and I have been there for whew, over 20 years now. Um, we started there as an engaged couple. So we've been at the church for a long time. We have five children. Um, our oldest is 18 and she just started college. And then we have a 16 year old son and a 15 year old daughter and a 12 year old daughter and a nine year old son. So we span some different stages right now. (laughs) We're busy, but it's really good. Um, yeah, our kids are, are homeschooled. I say with kind of a caveat because they are also in a uh, two of them are in an online school, so I'm not doing a lot of teaching there. And then one of them's in a part-time school. So she's actually at, in a school building for a, a few days of the week. Um, and then our youngest son with special needs, he's truly home full-time with me. So hmm. that keeps yeah. me busy. Yeah. Um, and it seems like there was a fairly well-known pastor that was at that church as well. Wasn't that? <laughs> yeah. You may have heard of, of our pastor, John Piper. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I feel like we could, uh, just, yeah, get off on a tangent talking about pastor John, the way that he has uh, impacted 
each of us individually. But um, I, I'd love to uh, zoom in on your family a little bit more as well. Um, I know, and I was sharing a little bit pre-recording, uh, just some of your writings about special needs ministry and, and talking about your son, Titus. I'd love for you just to tell our listeners a little bit about your, your son and just heart for special needs ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it has happened very organically, which I think is how it happens for most people is they have a personal touch point in the world of disability or special needs. And it just raises your awareness to um, needs that you maybe didn't know about or just didn't think about very deeply. Um, So for us, yeah, Titus has got a deletion on a chromosome, chromosome that just causes overall delay. So cognitive delay, um, physical delay, but then also he has a, a seizure disorder. So he has seizures and then also a feeding tube. Um, so, but very happy, wonderful, wonderful young man whom we couldn't love more, um, but has just taken our life in a different course than what you envision when you start out. Um, so we're just so thankful. I was telling you beforehand to have a church that has a special needs ministry um, where he can go to Sunday school with his peers alongside of an aide that the, um, that is a volunteer from our church. Um, so we have a lot of people who volunteer in the special needs ministry to just be a buddy for students or children who have um, a disability. And he has been with this same aide for a couple years and he loves her to death and she loves him. So it's amazing how much just having a community around you who is seeing your child with disability and, and knows them and not just knows they have a disability, but actually knows your child. Well, um, that just makes a huge difference. Um, we kind of joke that Titus is like the, I don't know, he's kind of the grandmaster when we get to church on Sunday mornings. He <laughs> is all over the sanctuary greeting every person he knows by name and they greet him. Um, and to be in an environment where you are known and and loved and welcomed and and he has a ministry as well of welcoming others and knowing others. Um, it, it makes a difference, not just for him, but for us as his parents and for his siblings as well. It, um, it really gives us a home um, at church. So yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I do want to, again, point people to your blog as well, because I know you've written um, extensively on just the, the ministry of special needs and um, yeah, echo everything you just said as, as the church that I attend, Pear Orchard Press has a, a special needs ministry and just seeing the the fruit of how the Lord uses that um, is so significant. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I also want to talk about um, your newest book that you wrote. Um, many people know uh, who listen to this podcast know that Abigail has contributed to the uh, track series that RYM has um, partnered with Christian Focus on, and uh, you released a student's guide to womanhood. Um, I think this past June is when that, that finally came out. Um, and I'd love for you to, to talk about that, but I was thinking, you know, you also published a book, A Typical Woman, and it was back in 2019, I believe, and now this book has come out in you know 2022. I'd love to hear just kind of some of the differences uh, between, you know, writing that book in 2019 to 2022. It's just a, you know, a three-year difference, but it seems like the conversation has changed a ton just in that amount of time. So I'd love for you just to maybe start there. I don't think I could have possibly anticipated 
the state of our world from even 2019 to 2022. Um, and I mean, I was writing a typical woman back in 2017 and 2018. So it was, it was even a little earlier than when it was actually released. Cause you know, they take quite a while to, to get published once they're turned in. Oh, yeah. So it, the, the change has been breathtaking in regard to how our culture, um, regards womanhood. Um, I could see some of it. And I wrote about some of the transgender issues in a typical woman because they were, they were, they were definitely there. Um, but the widespread, not just acceptance of it, but militant, if you don't accept it, you're a bigot and you should be barred from polite society. I don't know if I could have anticipated that. Um, and so we're just in a very ratcheted up age. Um, a polarized age, an age where righteousness is really seen as unrighteousness. I mean, it's just viewed as righteousness is now viewed as evil. And so it it's gonna, I think how that changes my writing, especially as I'm writing to students, to, mm -hmm. to young people whom this is the main thing they've known is I am just desperate and praying that God would give them steel spines because they're going to need them just desperately praying that God would so show them and convince them of the goodness of his plan in the face of these alternate worldviews and alternate ways of, of really perceiving reality um, that he would make them so solid because kind of a light Christianity isn't going to do it for them. It's got to be the really potent foolproof Christianity. It has to be completely able to withstand these this hurricane, um, this gender hurricane that we're in. And so that's what I had in my mind as I'm writing for students is how do I help by God's word and through his spirit to make these young women and young men who might read it too strong, strong in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like how you said that just potent Christianity. Um, and Chris, I'd love for you to, to jump in, but, but Abigail, maybe also talk to not just culturally speaking, the, the, the shift, but also the challenge of taking this topic and writing specifically to students, but then also in a concise way, as, as people who have picked up these track booklets, they know they're short. And uh, those who write know it is not easy to write something in a concise way. So maybe kind of talk about some of those challenges as well. And then Chris, I'd love for you to jump in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is hard. And to write it in a way that's understandable. I mean, in some ways, okay, this is simple, right? What's a woman? What's she for? That seems pretty basic 101 stuff, but it isn't anymore. It, it has become very complexified. And so to try and decomplexify it, get back down to the roots of what does scripture say? What does God say is good? And then help, help, help students and young women see this isn't just true. It's really beautiful. It's really good. This is something that we, we should want. Um, yeah, that's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Um, it really helps that I have three daughters um, because they were my readers. <laughs> mm -hmm. nice. um, and I think I even had my son read it, um, my teenage son, <laughs> and just get some feedback from target audience. You know, like, is this understandable to you? Mm -hmm. how, how, what are you walking away with after you read this section? How, how are you understanding this? And they were really helpful that way. So very thankful to have um, kids kind of in that target audience who can help me refine how I'm writing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, the the I, my daughter is nine. She was reading it to me in the car on the way to church um, on Sunday, and she stopped on this section. So I, when I, we got to church, I underlined it when you said, I'm assuming you don't want to be coddled like a child, but rather afforded the dignity of being told the straight truth and loved with the unsentimental, pure love of Christ. And uh, my daughter Lucy said, coddle, coddled? What does that mean? And I said, well, kiddo, do you want me to, um, do you want me to give it to you straight to tell you what's really true? Or do you want me um, to soften it and you have to kind of figure things out yourself? And she said, I want to know what's true. And, uh, and I think you, you teed up the book really, 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 really well. You did like, you do not pull punches in this one. And I really appreciate it as I'm reading with my nine-year-old and she's at, we had the agenda talk about three months ago with her and just things she's seeing on TV and, and mm-hmm. Cretaceous period, like the Jurassic Park Cretaceous TV show. We, it's like, like everything is inundated with this very progressive, um, outside of what God has designed gender for movement. And, uh, so I really appreciated <laughs> appreciated that and had a fun time talking with her and I'm, she wants to read the rest of the book, but I had to steal it back so I could read it for the center. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think what you just said is so key, which is um, even for our young children, it doesn't matter whether you're homeschooling your children or private schooling. Um, they are being taught by the world, these other ideas, because it's just become so pervasive. And so if you have any access to the internet, it's going to get in somehow. Um, and that means that we have to be ahead of it. We have to be inoculating them. We have to be explaining these ideas and giving them the right categories to put them in before they hear it from the world. And so, yeah, I think that's awesome that you're having a conversation with her at that age, because that's probably exactly the right age to do it. Um, you don't want to be doing it probably when they're 14 and 15 and you may not know this, but they've already heard everything about it from their friends or from somewhere on the internet or from a TV show. It's just, it's pervasive. It's in the news. It's, you don't even have to be watching bad movies to have it touch you in many ways. So I do think it's important to start the conversation um, as young as you think your child can, can grasp it and can start um, understanding it in an appropriate way. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I'm all about having these conversations at earlier ages at obviously age appropriate ways, but, but yeah, I mean, you just said it, uh, they're, they're being taught by the world. And so we need to, to teach them truth, um, from God's word. Um, this is a very broad question and it might be kind of an obvious question, but I'm just curious, um, well, why has this topic interested you so much? Um, I mean, you're a woman and you have three daughters as well. And so it could just be that, but I'm, I'm just curious, it's moved you to, you know, write two books and uh, have a blog as well. And so just curious where that passion kind of began. Mm-hmm. Well, I did not grow up hearing much about this topic. And in some ways, I think that was really it was a sign of a healthy environment that I was in. And what I mean by that is just the way things were, were obvious enough that everyone could just live by them. We didn't have to go have a big discussion over should a wife submit to her husband or 
are there differences between men and women? It was just, of course, like that seems like obvious. The Bible teaches this and men and women are clearly have differences, you know? Um, so this was not a topic I heard talked about separately outside of just, well, here's kind of what the Bible says about a whole bunch of things and this being one of them. Um, and so then as I got older, uh, into my twenties married, I started hearing more direct teaching on the topic of manhood and womanhood. And I found it generally pretty helpful. Um, it wasn't something that I felt a big need to hear a lot about. I felt kind of just like, well, you know, I'm okay with what the scripture says. It's kind of what I, what I know and, and whatever. But then as time went on, I started to hear bad teaching, not from my church, but come through, um, women who had read different books that were being released, different famous, um, Christians who were teaching certain things that I was very concerned about. And, and I just started to think, well, I mean, that's definitely not true, but this is being taught by respected Christian people. Books are being published that say this in my circles, what should we do about this? This isn't good. You know, one of the main ones, um, or one, one of the ones, the things that I was hearing was that women were human mainly and women secondarily. So that like the category of your personhood is human. And then being a woman is just an aspect of that. It's just like one part of it, kind of like being an athlete is a part of it or being a cook or being, um, I don't know, any of the things you might think of yourself as. And woman is just like one facet of being a human. And that's the primary category. And that's actually really untrue. And it may sound innocuous, but it's not um, because there are no just humans. Humanity is male and female and that maleness and femaleness goes all the way down like it's it's not just a little side piece but the main part of me over here is human your whole essence your whole self if you're if you're woman is woman and if you're man your whole essence your whole self is man it's and yes both of those are human but there isn't a category of human by which there's only a segment that's man or woman so that distressed me greatly because I saw it as what it was working out to do was to basically say womanhood is kind of silly. It's really kind of dumb. And if we could just get out from under it and call ourselves human, then we could be important. We could do really important things. We could be really valuable, but this womanhood thing is just something that we need to just make it small. And then we won't have to you know, it, it won't be a big part of who we are. And I just want to say, no, that's not how God did it. You being a woman is a good thing. That's what God calls it. Very good. And all the things that go along with it are a good thing. And we shouldn't be degrading that and trying to kind of lift ourselves out of it by calling ourselves mainly what we are is human, not woman. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where some of it all started. That was the impetus I thought that this can't go unchecked. Somebody has to say something to present a true biblical understanding of what being a woman is. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's yeah, well said. I'm just thinking of that example you just gave. I mean, how subtle that sounds. Um, but you know, you think back to, to the creation mandate, Genesis one twenty six through twenty eight. I mean, God made them after His image, male and female. Um, that there's the distinction early on, and as you subtly chip away at that, um, there's there's real danger there. Um, so I, I appreciate that, Chris. I'd love for you to jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a strange. This is such a strange debate. Like, <laughs> it is so strange. It's like the, the, I'm trying to think. I mean, a lot of your language sounds a lot like what I've heard Al Mohler say for the past, you know, five, six, I don't know how many years, you know, that when that which was righteous now becomes villainous mm-hmm. and um, that it's, it's flipped and the, the observable biology no longer matters. Um, right. The, actually see so it's 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 just a very strange world that we live in and i think your book is very timely in that and very pointed towards um young girls but man i mean i mean i'm even thinking just in gen in general men do need to read this book too that it speaks to so many things that men may be thinking about and considering and in discussions with other women to understand um and have insights that you provide um, like in chapter eight, when you're talking about singleness and you, you tell the story of your friend and you're very thankful that, um, you know, she realized before she got into a marriage with this guy, um, you know, that that perspective is really, really valuable to take, taking consideration, um, the friendships and relationships, the romances and the things that you have are really, really important and valuable to understand. And, and something I kept, I kept seeing in that in that thing i think it was chapter eight um this idea you know you're not ultimately created for marriage you're created to glorify god and enjoy him forever and Mm -hmm. ultimate end goal and i've heard that argument or or heard the story from kids in my own youth group where it's they say well chris you can say um to somebody hey you know if um if your sexuality and your gender and whatnot are so messed up and so broken that you're unable to be married to the same gender because God disapproves of that. Isn't that unfair that you get to get married and have kids, but they can't. And the, the response is that's not unfair at all. Like what is fair is eternal judgment uh, Mm -hmm. is very. And Mm -hmm. God doesn't call us to the ultimate end of marriage and children. The Mm -hmm. ultimate end him enjoying him forever and keeping that at the forefront of our minds um in these discussions that no 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 let's let's keep the priorities the priorities let's let's understand exactly what we're we're looking for god desires you to glorify him and enjoy him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that our sexuality are not the primary pieces of our identity at all right yeah the the marriage question and just how marriage is viewed both in the church and in the culture, I think is going to be more and more and more important for us to be talking about really openly with our students and just as the church in general. I listened to a talk recently that Joe Rigney gave, and he talked about um, how we can't make fun of um, Justice Jackson, the new Supreme Court justice, who she was asked, you know, well, what is a woman or, you know, can you tell us what a woman is? And she basically said, no, I can't, I'm not a biologist. 
And we all kind of hear that and we're like, what is going on? This We're shocked, rightly so. But he says, we can't really make fun of her if we haven't been able to say clearly what is marriage. If we've just sort of mumbled into the microphone when people have said to the church, what is marriage? And we don't know, we apparently don't know the answer to that. We're fine with we're fine with this distortion, this fake marriage of, of two men or two women or whatever it may be. Um, and we haven't taught, like, because that difference is the same as the not knowing what a woman is. It's, it's the same thing, but we've sort of gone past that already. And now we're shocked that nobody knows what a woman is or what a man is. Well, mm. we need to know what marriage is and what it's for. And whether God calls us to singleness or to marriage isn't always a choice we get to make. But one thing the scripture is clear about is that marriage should be held in honor by all. And so it's really important that when we're talking to youth, that we stress the goodness of marriage, whether or not they themselves, God provides marriage for them that as Christians, we hold marriage in honor because it's the foundation of our whole existence. Because without marriage, there's, there is no procreation. There is no um, raising children in the nurture and, nurture and admonition of the Lord in families, which is what God des- decided. That's how he decided to do this. This is his way um, of passing the, the faith on, not just from nation to nation or people to people, but down through the ages, through the generations, through time. Um, so we want to honor marriage, even if um, personally we're struggling with, I can't get married or I feel isolated and I, I want this, but I can't have it or whatever that struggle is. Um, don't let it embitter you to look at marriage and kind of poo poo it or make it out to be well, who cares about that? That's not a big deal. Well, it's a big deal for all of us because we all came from a mother and a father, every human. So marriage should be held in honor. We want to stress that for our children and help them to see the goodness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. Abigail, as I've said, we have a lot of uh, parents that tune into this podcast and I'd love for you to, to, to speak to them a minute. Um, and, you know, it could be... A conversation about marriage. I mean, that, that needs to be taking place in the home, but I'm just curious in your home, what would have been some conversations you try to, to make sure happen in the home or even practices that have been helpful kind of in relationship to this womanhood, manhood discussion? Um, just anything that might be helpful for parents. Mm-hmm. Well, I think having a conversation is the most helpful way to do it. I think it can be a little difficult to be like, and now we're going to cover this, and we're going to have this particular really high stakes talk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if from a young age, you're having spiritual conversations, you're having conversations, it's, it's woven into the, the normalcy of your life. You're sitting down to dinner together and you're asking questions and, and you're, you're also sharing your own experiences and you're sharing your own thoughts about what's happening in the culture. So, I mean, I try to keep up on, just some basic news. I'm not a news junkie or anything, but I'll listen to the briefing maybe a few times a week. Um, my kids and I used to listen to it together and we would just pause it all throughout and talk about it. And, you know, 
very lively discussions over that. Um, there are other podcasts that discuss some current events that would, uh, the world and everything in it is one. I'm trying to think of some others that would be good if your children are teenagers, they're probably ready to listen to that with you and for you to discuss it together. Not like children, we shall now discuss this, but mm-hmm. I, I just mean really naturally. Um, and again, that's something you just want to cultivate from a young age um, is how do we understand the world we're in? How, how are we processing all this? How do we understand all these things in light of the scriptures? Um, and I think if, if you've been doing that, the conversations will come fairly naturally. And if you haven't been doing that, there's no time like the present to start. You shouldn't feel hopeless. Like, oh, I missed the boat. I think it's okay to just talk to your kids and say, hey, I really wish I would have done this sooner, but no time like the present. And I think this is really important. And I'd like to start a conversation about it and then just get really good at asking questions and listening. You are also going to have to talk, like, don't be the parent who never provides an answer, especially if your child is kind of grasping around um, that they need you to actually know the answers. So even if they ask a question and you don't have the answer, you say, I'll get back to you. You go email your pastor, you go talk to your husband, you do what you need to do. You search the scriptures to help them walk through it. And it's okay for them to see you not know the answer and go get help getting the answer. That's teaching them as well, how they can handle things when they don't know the answer. So start the conversation. Don't be afraid. Um, just, and recognize that this is the job God's given you and to miss it. Uh, there couldn't be higher stakes, you know, to just kind of shrug your shoulders and be like, well, I'm sure Sunday school will cover this. They'll be fine. No, they are not going to be fine. God has ordained the means of you as a parent to help walk with your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to help them see his way as good and to see sin as terrible. There's a lot of hope to be had because God's word is powerful and true and good and it works it's working on us and on them. And so we have every reason to hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I like how you said too, I mean, you know, I'm thinking for those out there listening who might not be doing this at all to, to even use a tool like a podcast to, to springboard into some conversations. So if there's parents out there thinking, I don't even know where to begin. Hey, that, that could be a good resource to, to kind of hit play and then to start having discussion from there. Um, so they don't have to feel prepared. Um, I know we're about to start drawing this to a close. Chris, did you have a final question or final word uh, before we close this out? Yeah, you know, Abigail, in um, chapter nine, you're talking about uh, victimhood a lot. And mm. I think that's a hard, that's a really hard topic to broach. And I was, I really appreciated your bravery to, to put it down in text. Um, but for for some of the youth that are listening, um, what are some tips on kind of rooting out if you should, maybe they should ask themselves or have their friends or ask their friends to root out if they're really moving to a position of victimhood themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's victimhood is subtle and it can take hold almost before you realize it. And I think it can be helpful to acknowledge that sometimes we actually are victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes there are real wrongs done to us. And it's often in those situations that we feel most justified to take an identity of victimhood. Um, but what I would just want to help draw out is that 
in Christ, we are not victims. Um, Even when we are wronged and those things happen to us because of Christ, we are filled with hope. We have the power of forgiveness. Um, We have the power of his strength in our weakness. Uh, We really do have everything when we have Christ. And so victimhood is antithetical to the Christian identity. Um, And yet we are sinned against just as Christ was sinned against um, on our behalf. Um, So it's not that we can't be wronged. We can, but to take on that identity really is, it's like someone sins against you and what you're doing is almost punishing yourself by making your, by taking on a victimhood mentality. It really is a poison that you're, you're giving yourself to take a victim mentality. And so I want to help students see that, that that mentality will cripple you. Um, It will not help you grow as a person, become more Christ-like, walk in maturity. It will keep you very stunted. And so questions you can ask things like, do I feel sorry for myself a lot? Do I have a poor me attitude? Am I constantly replaying the wrongs that have been done to me or perceived wrongs? Do I tend to sort of take offenses out of thin air and assume that someone is doing something against me, even though I don't really have actual proof, it's just kind of a vibe that I have or a feeling that I have that they may be trying to, that that was hurtful. Um, and, and just asking the Lord to help you develop, um, an unoffendable spirit. Uh, We live in a spirit of offendedness. And so what would it look like to be the kind of person who was not easily offended, who let things slide off their back because they aren't, um, their identity is in the Lord. They're who they are is safe in him. And so they don't have to worry if someone may have been trying to look down on them or may have been trying to hurt them with their words or something like that. So there are a lot of questions you can ask. There are adults you could invite into that and and ask to help you. Um, And really just remembering that Christ really did come to be your strength in weakness, not just to leave you in weakness. Um, He came to be strength in it. Uh, And so let his strength be present in you um, and and let that be an overflow so that you aren't um, stuck and caught and stunted in a victimhood mindset. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that, Abigail. And uh, again, just uh, talking about this book, you, you cover so much in this <laughs> this small book. So we, we appreciate your work and just want to remind our, our listeners, uh, the title of the book is A Student's Guide to Womanhood. Um, you can pick this up on Amazon. Um, I think it's only three ninety nine or so. So I want to encourage everyone to pick this up. Um, you know, as we were talking about, uh, parents just pressing play on a podcast and discussing that, Hey, parents pick this book up as well and just read it with, with your children. Um, it's very easy to read through and allows for conversation and has discussion questions at the end of each chapter. Um, but Abigail, thank you again for writing this book and thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's my joy. Without money, oh, come and feast without pain.
spin 